Billed as purely private gambles by sophisticated investors, hedge funds now pose very public peril when the bets go bad. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. It's Thursday, November 13th, and it's about 2.25 in the afternoon here in Washington, D.C. And I'm Dan Costello, and it's well 2.25 in a few seconds here in New York. And you heard from Congressman Tom Davis there from Virginia. He was talking at a Capitol Hill hearing today. And uh, the chairs in front of the members of Congress were filled with some of the top hedge fund managers. Uh, Representative Henry Waxman pointed out that on average, they earn something like a billion dollars each in a year. And they were there because Congress is considering adding stricter regulations for hedge funds. And the hedge fund managers said they might be willing to share their numbers about their trades with the Securities and Exchange Commission, but only if the SEC was going to keep them private. It did not want those numbers made public. As for the Planet Money indicators, we looked at some of the earnings of companies that were supposed to be doing okay in the current financial crisis, and the news wasn't so good. Google's stock price, it fell below $300 for the first time in five years. And they also unofficially reported a hiring freeze this afternoon. Don't they have a lot of benefits like free sushi and car washes and oil changes and stuff like that they could cut back on? They also bus people back and forth from San Francisco with free internet. There was a great story last year about how many people at Google uh, met each other on that bus. I thought, wow. it was, I thought it was terrific. Uh, Intel okay. said that their revenue would be a billion dollars less this quarter than they, than they anticipated just about two months ago. And even Walmart said they were suffering. They cut their revenue outlook. Um, that's a little surprising considering, you know, when the economy's bad, people are supposed to look for cheaper clothes and all the other Martha Stewart betting, et cetera, that, that, uh, that Walmart's known for. And we're also we have new unemployment numbers today. Last week, another thirty-two thousand people filed for unemployment benefits. That puts the total at over a half million people. And this is only the second time since nineteen ninety-two that we've had over a half million people uh, looking for unemployment benefits. There is one place you might look for employment, and that is with the Obama administration, which is expected to hire something like seven thousand new people. Seven thousand versus half a million. I guess, uh, yes. I, guess, I guess there's a silver <laughs> We need line bigger government, clearly. Exactly. <laughs> and so now let's talk about this big G20 meeting this weekend. David, you're going to this, right? Uh, I am. I am going to go there. And uh, so this is a meeting of some of the leaders from the major economies around the world. But, you know, it's not just those 20 people coming, you know. There are other people in town. Like who? Like this guy, Kumi Naidu. He is co-chair of the Global Call to Action Against Poverty. He showed up uh, wearing a dashiki and tapping away at some BlackBerry thing. And I asked him, I said, why are you here? What are you doing here? What are you hoping for? I mean, these are world leaders coming to talk about a global economic crisis. What are you doing here? This meeting has huge implications for, for people living in poverty around the world. The current financial crisis is exacerbating an already uh, catastrophic situation. We know that every single day on this planet, 50,000 men, women, and children die from preventable poverty-related causes, and we want to reverse that, and this current crisis doesn't make it easier. Well, how is it actually making things worse? So firstly, uh, many developing country uh, citizens depend on remittances 
from their relatives in work in rich countries. We have seen a significant decline in the amount of money sent back home. But that's still got to be a small amount of money pouring into these countries relative to... Uh, well, you know. yeah, th- that was the first one. In some countries, it's not that insignificant. Mexico is hurting Philippines. There, there are some countries which have okay. quite a, a large number. The second impact is that we've seen um, uh, wild fluctuations in currencies. Uh, it's still early days. But what we are seeing is that investment is being pulled out. So that's having an impact on jobs. So what are you going to be doing this weekend during the G20 meeting of all these countries? Well, we've already started our work to lobby the individual government delegations. How's that going? Uh, Uneven. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, we've had a, for example, we've had a conference call with the finance minister from South Africa, Trevor Manuel. Uh, just last week. Where are you actually going to be during the meeting? Are you going to be outside the building trying to catch people as they come and go? <laughs> uh, yes, unfortunately. Uh, well, we'll be going in, in and out of... I hope you brought a coat. You have a short sleeve shirt on there. Yes, no, I will be togged up for it. Uh, we have developed now a level of influence that we get very reliable intelligence leaks from those that are inside the meeting so that we can actually you know, keep the lobbying going while the meeting goes on. All right, Kumi, suppose I made it from the G20 to the G21, and I gave you a special pass, and you could actually go sit there at the table. What would you tell them? What would you ask them? First, I would say recognize that just as you are concerned about people in rich countries hurting, which we are also concerned about, recognize that people in poor countries are hurting really bad. And for that reason, all developing countries that are sending out huge amounts of money in debt repayments, they should be given a two- to three-year uh, interest-free debt holiday so that money is not flowing out, so that it actually helps them to meet health, education, sanitation, and so on. Debt repayments to uh, U.S. to governments so or to the IMF or to who? A combination of those. So you're uh, saying all the countries who have been given loans because they needed money, uh, just like we're trying to fix things for the homeowners, we should try and renegotiate exactly. that stuff also. Yeah, and you know, give them a, a a period of two years, hopefully, by which the crisis would be beyond us, so that people can actually uh, countries can have a chance to actually survive and and make sure that the human costs are not too catastrophic. The second thing we're saying is use this opportunity to connect the different crises that the global community faces. Don't treat the financial crisis as a uh, crisis in a box, but look at how we can connect the financial crisis with the climate uh, crisis, with the food and fuel price crisis, uh, all linked up. And the third demand is obviously that what we've learned over the last uh, two months is we ourselves thought, you know, when we asked for, you know, cancel third world debt, it was a lot of money because to cancel all of third world debt is $500 billion. Yeah. And, and suddenly we find that that's actually small change uh, in the current context. And what it shows is that where there is political will to address a problem and to find the resources, money can be found. And we hope that the fact that we've got a daily passive genocide or a daily silent tsunami going on in Africa and elsewhere in the developing world, that that generosity will be forthcoming by the richest nations on the planet. So you are worried that your concerns will be left out from the meeting here this weekend. But there are a lot of people who say there's no danger of that because, don't worry, absolutely nothing will happen this weekend. Well, this is a sad situation because the transition in the United States in terms of the presidential transition means that this meeting, which um, is going to be an expensive meeting, will have 20 of the most powerful heads of state around the table. Uh, this is a cost to the planet to have this meeting, and it should be able to deliver 
substantively. What do you think the odds are that it, we'll know the answer at the end of this weekend? Do you think the sorts of things you're talking about will be part of a, some framework coming out of this meeting, really? That is our hope. Uh, I think that at the is risk of sounding... Is it a 1% hope? Um, if... Uh, Careful about predictions. Again, we'll know in a few days. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think if we go by precedent, uh, if we go by the expectations we have of G8 meetings, WTO meetings, and so on, then I would say that uh, minus 5% would be what we would be looking at. However, this meeting <laughs> is happening at a particular moment in world history. It is not any other moment. It's a moment that calls for courage, vision, and a sense of urgency. And we hope that even if that urgency is not coming from the rich countries, that some of the developing countries around the table, who themselves, like Argentina, were in a crisis and know what it means for a country to be economically on its knees, uh, will actually act with the kind of urgency that the world's people, both in rich and poor countries, expect from these leaders that are gathering here. Thanks to Kumi Naidu, the co-chair of the Global Call to Action Against Poverty. He's from South Africa, and we'll have more on the G20 next week. Well, I think that does it for us here today on Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Dan Costello. Thanks for listening. Hey,